welcome to Kingwood United Methodist Church. Thank you for joining us today. Wherever you're listening from and whatever service you're listening to, we strongly believe because of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, there is always more to life. I realized that I was in the uh, traditional service last week and not here, so I didn't get a chance to make the announcement. Uh, But Erica is having a little baby boy. So baby baths will be... Little baby boy, which is very exciting. Um, We are starting a new sermon series today for the month of August. If you want to follow along with us, we're going to be preaching and teaching um, out of Scripture and out out, based on this book, uh, "The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry." by a pastor named John Mark Comer up in Portland. Um, So if you want to follow along with us, read the book along with the sermon series. We're going about 100 pages for today's sermon, but then we're going to slow it down. Uh, So there's plenty of time to catch up. And we're going to be looking at what does it mean to live a hurried lifestyle and what does it mean to live the lifestyle of Jesus. So John Mark Comer, a pastor out in Portland, he was the pastor of a large kind of megachurch out in Portland with multi-sites, multi-campuses, and he found that his life had become more and more based around keeping up with the machine that was leading that megachurch, and he found that he was doing it at the expense of his own soul. So he has this moment where he kind of realizes, is this what I want? Is this what's worth it? But from the outside, I'm successful in every single metric that people in ministry care about, and yet I'm losing my soul in the middle of all this. And so what he found is he said, I have to make a change in my life if I don't want to lose my soul. And so he resigned from being the senior pastor of the megachurch, and he took on becoming a campus pastor at a smaller church in that kind of mega church um, branch. And so we're looking at, this is sort of the lessons that he learned by going to scripture and studying the practices of Jesus and the practices of the early church as we look at ourselves and as we start up our busy fall schedules to not fall back into the hurry that often seems to dominate our lives. A couple weeks ago, I got sick with COVID. It was to the point where we had to cancel our vacation, and I found myself that I was stuck at home for a week, and I hated it. After one day of being sick, I remember I started getting upset at myself for not being able to work. I was just sitting on my couch doing nothing, not being productive, not doing anything uh, worthwhile in my time. I even turned to Erica, uh, I think the, she said the second day of me being sick and said, hey, Monday, Monday I turned to her and said, hey, uh, do you think I should reach out to the other pastors and see if I could preach on Sunday to make their life a bit easier? Um, and Erica says, what are you talking about? You're, this is literally day two of you being sick. What are you doing? And it was just this moment that I kind of found myself in where I had been complaining about needing a break, and Erica said to me, well, Jeremy, it seems like you're getting a break right now. What are you doing trying to rush back into working? At the moment that I was kind of given a moment to rest, I rebel against it to strive to get back into the hurry of my life. When I was forced to rest, all I wanted to do was to continue my hurry and my busyness. 
You know, what's one of the most common things that we say to one another when we're asking, hey, how you doing? What's the common saying? I'm good, just busy. I'm good, just busy. And we wear our hurry, we wear our busyness on our sleeves as if it's a badge of pride. Our busyness and our hurry, it characterizes our lives and we're proud of it. It's almost like, I'm good, but I need you to know that I'm very busy. I'm a very important person doing very many busy things because I'm so important. And this hurry just seems to dominate our lives and dominate our cultures. And John Mark Comer in his book, he starts it off by quoting Dallas Willard, uh, one of the great modern uh, Christian theologians of our time. If you haven't read anything by Dallas Willard, I would highly recommend it. And he quotes Dallas Willard who says that hurry is the greatest enemy of our spiritual life today. Hurry is the great enemy of our spiritual life today. And so today we're going to be looking and diving deeper into this hurry problem and what does scripture offer as the solution to our hurry problem as I seem to capture the hurry problem within my own heart. So today we first need to look at and reckon with the fact that we are a culture and a people with a hurry problem. That we are a culture and a people with a hurry problem. But let's define what we mean by hurry really quick. Hurry is when you have too much to do and, only, and the only way that you can keep up is to speed up the pace of your life to an unhealthy level. Too much to do and the only solution is to speed up to an unhealthy level. Or put it another way, it's a pattern of behavior characterized by the continual rushing and anxiousness. How many of you, when you think about school starting back up, feel this kind of a small bit of anxiousness in your soul because you're like, oh, all these schedules are going to pick up, all these activities are going to pick up, all these things, I'm going to be so hurried and busy. Show of hands, how many of you have had that maybe thought cross your mind over the past few weeks? It's this worry that we just put so much on our plate and we just feel so hurried and bogged down in our life. In this culture that we live in, it celebrates people who have this sort of grind mentality. Always be grinding, always be working, always be looking to expand different streams of income that if you work harder than everyone else, then you'll be better off and more successful than those around you. That that's sort of the culture and environment in which we live in. And we just blindly accept that this pace of life is a good thing. But friends, one of the things that Scripture teaches us and one of the things that John Mark challenges us is that this hurry lifestyle we find ourselves in is not from God. That hurry is not from God. Work is from God. God blesses work. God created work in the Garden of Eden But this never-ending grind, this hurry, is not from the Lord. Many times people will come to me during the weekday while I'm working in my study, and people will come to me and say, well, Jeremy, I don't want to interrupt you. I know that you're very busy. And every time they say that, it always makes me reflect on how I'm giving off my persona. Am I cultivating this mentality around me? that I can't be interrupted because my hurry, my busyness takes priority over interruptions of the kingdom of God. 
because that's where the meat of Jesus' ministry came is from the interruptions. But if we're so focused on the hurry, if we're so focused on the busyness, are we missing out on these little kingdom of God interruptions in our lives? In our culture, we have uh, something called FOMO or fear of missing out. It's this fear that if we say no to something, then our kids are gonna miss out on X, Y, or Z. Or maybe if we say no to something, we'll miss out on this incredible event or this incredible opportunity. And so our habit just becomes, we'll just say yes to things. And we'll just add more and more and more on top of our plate until our lives become more and more hurried. And we just keep up the pace until we find ourselves breaking down. In fact, when we think about the technology in our lives, that technology, the purpose of it was designed to give us more time to free us up to pursue the things that we desire. But don't you find that these are just the worst time killers in the world? Don't you find that these just suck up all that free time that we have? And I'm just as guilty as any one of us in here that we're distracting ourselves into oblivion, that our technology doesn't eliminate the hurry, but rather it seems to accelerate it, where we're always worrying about everything going on in the world. We're reading about all these things that our friends are doing. We have this fear that we're gonna miss out on something. We're gonna miss out on the next big social media trend, and we're doing things, and we're hurrying and worrying and not cultivating the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. I remember I was at a spiritual warfare class in seminary and the professor was talking about um, before you go and engage in this type of ministry that you need to find healing within your own soul and deal with your own junk before you go and engage this type of ministry. I remember there were still some things that I was struggling with and my go-to hurry in seminary was to distract myself. That if I can just hurry through this thing that I'm dealing with, then when I've wasted all that time, I'll be at the end of it and I won't worry about it anymore. And I remember as my professor was talking about this, the Lord very clearly spoke to me and he said, Jeremy, stop distracting yourself. Stop distracting yourself so that I can bring healing to your soul. Because distraction is a form of spiritual hurry. Just get through the time, not deal with this. We're a culture and a people with a hurry problem. All right, we're going to take a quiz together. Are you all ready? These are the 10 signs of hurry sickness, all right? So I'm going to explain them, and I just want each and every one of you to keep a running tally of how many you say yes to. Are you ready? We'll do this together. These are the signs of hurry sickness. The first one, irritability. You get mad or frustrated too easily that minor things tend to set you off. Uh, you get angry and you kind of lash out over small e things that really you shouldn't. Um, people tend to walk on eggshells around you because they're worried about how you'll react. Second is hypersensitivity. Minor comments set you off. Things that you just encounter in the day-to-day -day that minor setbacks seem to just throw you into an emotional turmoil and every small minor issue suddenly becomes a big issue that ruins your whole day. Minor things tend to escalate quickly. The third is restlessness, that you can't slow down and relax. And even if you try to, you can't seem to enjoy the rest. 
You'll try to read scripture and you'll find it boring. You'll start to pray, but you'll find your mind wandering and focusing on anything but what you're praying about. That when you're watching TV, you have to watch TV, be on your phone, and have something else going on. That you're constantly looking for the next dopamine hit. Fourth is workaholism or non-stop, non-stop activity. You don't have to have a job to be a workaholic. It's where you don't know when to stop working. Uh, you're always just pouring yourself out to the point where you have at the end of the day what's called sunset fatigue, where you don't have anything left to give to your loved ones. The fifth is emotional numbness. Uh, you're sort of numb to not only your own pain, but the pain of those around you. You feel emotionally numb. Sixth is out of order priorities. You feel disconnected from your identity and your calling. It's this weird irony that you find yourself busier than ever, yet you're spending your time on things that really don't deeply matter to you. And you feel like it's been months, years, or decades since you've spent time on what you feel called and placed on this earth to do. Seven is lack of care for your body, not enough sleep, not enough exercise, overeating, too much alcohol, too much caffeine, too much sugar, that you use your body and you use your body to escape from all that you have going on. Number eight is escapist behaviors. Whatever your distraction of choices, whatever your cultural narcotic of choices to distract yourself from all the busyness in your life or all the pain in your life, whether that's uh, binge watching Netflix, over drinking, nonstop social media binging or pornography, these behaviors that make us escape from the reality around us. Nine, slippage of spiritual disciplines. You know, it's interesting. When life gets busy, uh, Netflix is not the first thing that gets cut out, is it? It tends to be our quiet time with the Lord in the morning or in the evening whenever we decide to do it. That it's, it's this irony that when we get really busy, that the thing that should ground us and tether us and bring renewal and refreshment to our soul is often the very first thing that we cut out of our lives. We, we stop praying, we stop reading scripture, we stop going to church on Sundays. And then 10, lastly, isolation. You feel disconnected from God, from those around you, and disconnected from yourself. When you spend time alone, and you do seem to be able to focus, you look at the void within your soul and it drives you back to the place of hurry or distraction. Thanks again for joining us for today's message. We will return to the sermon in a moment, but first, we would like to ask for you to rate, share, and subscribe to our podcast. We believe God is doing some amazing things here at KUNC. And your feedback helps our church to reach new listeners that we wouldn't otherwise be able to reach. Now, let's get back to the work. I'm not going to have you all raise your hands. But how many of you scored a 7, an 8, or a 9? I know when I took it this week, for me, it was 8 out of 10. So what's the solution to our hurry sickness? our hurry problem, this, this cultural problem we seem to find ourselves in. Let's look at what the Word of God says. <clears throat> the book of Matthew, chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Hear the Word of the Lord. Jesus says, Come to me, 
All of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. I want to read the message translation of that. This is what Eugene Pearson writes. Are you tired? You worn out? You burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. As we choose to slow down our pace of life, as we choose to take on the easy yoke of Christ, it's about choosing to embrace our humanity, to know that we are not God, that we're humans and we have limitations and it's okay to not be God. The invitation that Jesus offers here in the scripture is about a different way to live. The invitation from Jesus is about a different way to live. That's what we see here when he says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened. Is that how you feel? Do you feel like this hurry has made you weary and heavy burden? And the promise from our Lord is that if we come to him, he will give us rest for our souls. He will give us a new yoke, a new way of living, a new way of being. Dallas Willard says this about this passage. The secret of the easy yoke involves living as Jesus lived in the entirety of his life, adopting his overall lifestyle. Our mistake is to think that following Jesus consists of loving our enemies, going the second mile, turning the other cheek, suffering patiently and hopefully, all the while living the rest of our lives just as everyone else around us does. He says it's a strategy that's bound to fail. So as we read passages like this, friends, do you believe that Jesus was wise? Do you believe that he knew what he was talking about? Do you believe that when you come up to passages like this, that this is divine wisdom that's meant to challenge and confront us and get us to think about the way that we live our lives differently? Or do oftentimes we read in scripture and we say, all right, Jesus, that's a pretty good idea, very impractical, but a very good idea. I don't know if I can apply it to my life, but I like the sentiment behind it. So I'm just going to kind of put that on the shelf because I think my way of doing things is a bit better. You don't know, Jesus, you don't know all that I'm dealing with. You don't know how busy I am. You know that I can't shelve any of these things. Jesus, if only you knew all that I'm dealing with, then that's not really worth following and obeying. Or do we, we read passages like this and experience the challenge, experience the conviction to say maybe Jesus' way is better than my way to learn from him. That's what the easy yoke of Christ is about, to come and learn from Jesus, learn how he lived his life, which is often so different from the way that we live our lives. Someone once asked Dallas Willard, how would you describe Jesus? If you had to describe him in one word, how would you do it? And Dallas Willard paused, and then he said, relaxed. Jesus is relaxed. 
Uh, he has full days. He works a lot, but he's never in a hurry. He always makes time to spend time with his father, makes time to Sabbath. He lives a simple lifestyle. But Jesus, even though he did a lot of things, his life was never hurried. He still found time to fill his life with all these practices that connect us to the heart of God that we're going to look at the next three weeks. So friends, do we really hear this invitation of Christ, come to Jesus, come to him who has a different way to live, who has a different way to prioritize our lives? Do we truly hear that call and that invitation that the way that we've been living with weariness and heavy burdens is not the way that God intended us to live our lives? Do we hear this invitation from Jesus' divine rest? Do we think that the way that we live our lives can be a witness to the culture around us? Do we think that if we follow the lifestyle of Jesus and how it bucks the trend of the culture we live our lives, do we see that as a witness to our neighbor? You know, Albert Einstein famously said, insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. I think that's oftentimes how we treat our hurry how we treat our busy schedules, that if we just keep trying to manage the hurry, if we keep saying, I'll just work harder, I'll work faster, I'll just be more efficient, then maybe I'll manage to be in control of all the different things I have going on in my life. It's like we're that living definition of insanity. And we're trying the same thing and we're like, maybe it'll work this time. Or maybe we should try the way of Jesus, the one who is humble and gentle in heart, who gives us a new yoke, an easy yoke. But to take on the new yoke of Jesus, we gotta take off the old one of the world. How are we filling our time? Are we learning from Jesus? Are we taking his lifestyle and approach and making it our own? Are we choosing to be like Mary and say, there is nothing better than sitting at the feet of Jesus, even if all this other stuff is going on around me, sitting and being with Jesus is the best thing I can do right now? Or do we more often live our lives like Martha, worrying and fretting about all the things that need to get done, living a hurried and busy life? How are we spending our time? Are we spending it with Jesus? Are we spending it on eternal things? Are we spending it on distraction, temporal things, and busyness and hurry? I remember a few years ago when the uh, iPhone update came out and it told you uh, what your average screen time usage for the week is. Do y'all remember when that came out? Oh, what a terrible day that was. Because you just look at that and you're like, ooh. That says an average of six hours this week. Ooh, that's a lot. Or even when you think you had a really good week of not spending a lot of time on your phone, you'll look at it and you'll be like, oof, still like three hours a week there, or three hours a day. That's not good. Because it's always that fun notification that you get, and it comes every Sunday morning. It comes always in the middle of our 9.30 worship for me. And it's always this just reminder to me about how much I distract myself, about how much I hurry, about how much I live this digital distraction, about my pace and my way of life is often not the way of Jesus. 
that I myself am in need of a Savior. I need to learn a different way to live. But the hope that we see in this passage, the hope that we see that Jesus is offering to us is he is extending to each and every single one of us a different way to live, a different way to pattern our lives, a different way to live habitually in our lives. Because the easy yoke of Christ is meant to be a great hope to us. It's not meant to be seen as a burden. It's meant to be seen as something we can put our hope and our trust in, that we can trust the way of Jesus. We can trust the lifestyle of Jesus because he is humble and gentle in heart. It means we have to take off the old one, though. It means that we'll have to embrace change if we want to put on the yoke of Christ. You know, this series may make us feel uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable for me to preach this sermon because oftentimes it pokes at my own idols, pokes at my own hurry. You know, in the opening passages of the book, he says that pastors are among the most hurried professions in America, right up there with doctors and lawyers. Because it's a disease that really starts with me me being sick with COVID, saying, how can I work more? How can I grind more? I need to do something productive rather than just sit here and rest and recover. It pokes at my own habits and my own idols and my own beliefs of what success looks like. So throughout this series, friends, I would just challenge us to not pull back when it pokes and prods and when we get our idols poked at, when we get our habits poked at, because I believe that maybe that's the Spirit of God inviting us into something better, something that leads to peace, joy, and love, the things that our soul craves. So friends, today, hear the call of Christ. His yoke is better than ours. His yoke is easier than ours. Because the one who gives it to us is humble and gentle in heart. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. As we continue with our worship service, we take Holy Communion. We remember that on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he was enjoying dinner with his friends, relaxed and unhurried in spite of all that was before him. When he was gathered at the table, at the end of the supper, he took bread And he broke it and he said, this is my body which is broken for you whenever you eat of it. Do it in remembrance of me. And then when the supper was over, he took the cup. He gave thanks to you, Father, and he said, this is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins whenever you drink of it. Do it in remembrance of me. And so, Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and juice. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ so that we can be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by your blood. Lord, pour your spirit out over us. Lord, challenge us, convict us. Show us that there is a better way to live, that there is a better yoke to take. And Lord, give us the strength to be able to choose you. Lord, as we pray the prayer that your son taught us to pray, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.